Welcome to the Cochrane Community Church Podcast. We're so happy that you're joining us, and we look forward to how Jesus will impact your life through this message. See, at Cochrane Community Church, our mission is simple. We want to share the love of Jesus so that our families, our community, the next generation, and the world will know Him as Savior. And this means that we strive to be a loving, Christ-centered community of believers. We just want to say thank you so much again for taking the time to tune into this episode. And at this time, please sit back and relax and enjoy this week's episode. Go check out the Big Cochranton Fair. Yeah, all right. It was I, I, I didn't actually make it there this week. I was, I was kind of, I almost went down for dinner a couple times, but I actually ended up working on my sermon, so we'll see if that was actually fruitful or not. Um, but, uh, you know, my kids went, and, and my wife helped out down there, and, and I heard it was like, you know, it was, it was pretty good this year. The people had a lot of fun, and the food was good, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, hopefully you're having a good morning this morning. Um, can I just be honest? My morning has been terrible. Like, it's been rough. Like, I woke up and couldn't get out of bed this morning, and then, like, like nothing was working. I couldn't find the clothes I wanted to wear. I couldn't get out the door. I was trying to print my sermon this morning, and my printer wouldn't work. Um, it's now laying in 20 pieces outside the house. Uh, no, not really, but that's what I would have liked to have done with it. Um, it's just like everything has kind of just not gone well, and I've been, like, increasingly frustrated as I've gotten here. And then I know I got here, and, like, there are all these technical difficulties because we're switching to a new live stream system and all this stuff that's been happening. Um, and, and like literally right up until like that countdown hit zero, it felt very, very stressful in here. Like I was stressed, everybody else was stressed, Steve was stressed, everybody's just kind of like, oh man, let's just hope this works, right? And then I, th- then we, we start, you start singing and you start worshiping and, and you just, you kind of, it kind of hits you what it's really all like, that's, that's kind of trivial, isn't it? Doesn't, doesn't, really, doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, like when you get this opportunity to come and, and worship our Creator, and, and then you get reminded of things like, like Steve prayed here at the end about there being another in the fire with us, right? And so no matter what our day is like, no matter what our week has been like, no matter what you've kind of come in carrying this morning, there's an opportunity for us to... Oh, kind of unload that, right? For God to take that from us, for us to focus on him and what he has for us, and for us to kind of remind ourselves that there's something that is so much bigger than anything that, that we might face. And so that's, that's just something for me to, that, you know, that, that one was free. That has nothing to do with my sermon today. Um, but we're going to be talking about doubt. We've been in this series about doubts, and uh, so I just want to recap real quick. Week one, we talked about um, how our faith is a journey, and, and so in that journey, doubts are inevitable, that we will have them whether we want to or not. But God is not distant in our doubts. A lot of times when we doubt, we feel like God isn't there, but God is not distant in our doubts. And, and, and another thing we talked about is faith is not the absence of doubt, but rather it's the means to push through our doubts. And then in week two, we talked about when we doubt, 
We remember times Jesus has shown up in our lives and in the lives of others, right? So, so when we're struggling, when things are hard, when we have our doubts and we don't know where God is, we can look back at those times in our lives where he's shown up, where he's been faithful, where he's been consistent. Times he has made himself real to us. And this is important because there are times that we will have questions in life that we can't answer and we need that assurance of who Jesus is. And so we have an opportunity during those times to actually grow deeper in our faith. And then week three, Randy came up here and he showed us a whole bunch of old pictures. And that's all I remember. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Now, Randy spoke a couple weeks ago and he talked about how, you know, God can use the most unlikely of people, right? Even in 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 our biggest insecurities, he is bigger than those insecurities. And that we can say yes to God when he calls us to do something, knowing that he will equip us to do it. He's bigger than our insecurities and our doubts. And so then today, we're in week four, and we are going to be talking, this this topic actually makes me a little bit nervous. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about when Christians let people down. When Christians let people down. In other words, times when Christians have caused doubt in our lives, like people that we've grown up, like looking up to, or people that we sat under who, who discipled us, who mentored us, and then they let us down, or people we respected who let us down, and the things that we've had to kind of come through to, to get through that, and, and just the disappointment and the doubt that that's caused, but also the times that we have, as Christians have caused doubt in the lives of others, that we've let them down, that we've stood in the way of what God was trying to do in their life. And so this is a hard one to talk about, and it's not my goal this morning to offend anybody, Um, but I don't think that this is one of those sermons where you can look at the person next to you and be like, man, I hope they're listening because they really need to hear this. Like, no, this one hits everybody. This is hitting home for all of us. And so I I just want to, we're going to open up to Matthew 23, and we're going to work our way through Matthew 23 this morning, but before we do that, I just... um, I want to I pray that, that no one wants to throw anything at me by the time I'm done, all right? So let's, let's pray for just a minute. God, thanks for today. Thank you for this morning. Thank you, oh God, for another day of life. God, whether we woke up and the sun was shining and the birds were chirping or we just wanted to crawl back in bed, um, God, you are on the throne. Nothing that happens today will surprise you. Um, nothing that happens today is bigger than you. And so, God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you are in our lives, God. Um, if, we ever, if we ever need reminding of what power set us free, there's a grave that holds no body, and that power lives in me. And so we thank you for that, God. And God, we thank you that that power not only helps us make it through each day, but it also gives us the ability to stop and assess ways that we can, we, we can be better, that we can live for you with more consistency, that we can follow you, um, just better in our lives, God. And so, God, we pray that, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just reveal that to us, that you would soften our hearts, that you would make us attentive. God, I pray that you would speak in spite of me this morning. And we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 23, um, verse, we're going to start with verse 1. And basically, just a little bit of background real quick. Jesus, um, this, these verses are found in Luke and Mark as well, a little bit different, but paralleled. And in Luke, it tells us that Jesus was actually invited into the house of a Pharisee for, to have supper. 
And so he goes, and obviously from what we can gather from the wording of all this, it was that Pharisee, several other Pharisees, and then the disciples and like a, maybe another crowd, small crowd of people. And so Jesus is actually invited into the Pharisee's home, and he sits down and he starts telling the disciples what we're going to read about the Pharisees. So this is what we're going to, we're going to start with this, verse 1. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds, oh, there we go. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ." The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this is is pretty bold, right? Can you imagine inviting someone over for dinner, and they walk in and just start bashing on you? Like, just telling you how terrible you are? That's what Jesus is doing. The Pharisees invite him over, he comes over, and then he sits in front of his disciples and is like, these people, right? And that's what this is. And so Jesus is telling them, that basically these Pharisees have been given this position of authority to interpret Scripture and the law, but they don't practice what they preach. They aren't actually pointing people to God. Rather, they're multiplying the number of ways for a person to offend God. All they care about is pointing out the faults of other people so that they themselves can appear better. And he says they wear phylacteries. And what phylacteries are, they're, they're these boxes that would hold little scrolls of Scripture in them. And the Pharisees would wear them like on their arms, and they'd actually attach them to like their forehead. And, and they would wear these tassels or fringes on their, on their robes. And it was supposed to kind of represent, it was, it was to kind of mark who they were, right? That they were these respected people in society, and they were, they were teachers. And, there were, and it was customary for them to wear these things at certain times. But what happened was the Pharisees started making their boxes bigger and brighter and more elaborate, and they started making their tassels longer and more noticeable. And literally, there were groups of Pharisees who would compete with each other. Like, oh, they, did you hear they made their tassels longer? We better remodel. We better, uh, get, you know, get the seamstress and get this thing fixed because we need to get our tassels longer than their tassels. And that was literally what was happening. And it was all designed so that they would be more noticeable in public and they would appear, appear more religious and more worthy of the attention of the people. And so Jesus tells his disciples, do not be like them. Instead, be humble and be a servant. Do not be one who seeks status or, or a fancy title. And so then Jesus shifts his focus. After he says this, if, if, this, wasn't, if this wasn't firm enough, if this wasn't um, you know, hard enough for the Pharisees to, to hear, Jesus shifts his focus in the next several verses, and he actually starts speaking directly to the Pharisees. And he starts to reprimand them for the different things that they do. And maybe you've heard of this passage. We're going to read through it. It's called the seven woes. A lot of people talk about the seven woes that Jesus gives to the Pharisees. And so that's what this is. 
Um, and so that's what we're going to focus our time on this morning, is looking at these woes that, God, that Jesus gave to the Pharisees and how they apply to our lives. Um, but before we, before we do that, or to help us do that, um, if you were here last week, how many of you here were last week? Saw Boys Gym Club was here, yeah. So Boys Gym Club of America was here, and there were some kids, like some, well, they're not even kids anymore. Some of these guys are in college now, and I remember, never mind. Um, but they, uh, you know, they came and they did sermons and poems and magic tricks and all this stuff. And, and I decided that having to follow that, I refused to be outdone this morning. And so I, uh, I don't know if, it, if you know, but I went to gym club when I was 100 years ago when I was a kid. And, um, and so I, I decided I was going to bring along some stuff of my own here. And, it, and if you think this has anything to do with being jealous about the fact that Steve's daughter said last week was the best sermon she'd ever heard, you are absolutely right. Um, I'm not proud of that, but we're going to do this anyway. Um, so I want to tell you guys a story this morning, if I can. And this is a story about three friends. And these friends are Jim, Joe, and Bob. All right, now Jim, Joe, and Bob were really good friends. And they, they, you know, they hung out a lot, and they grew up together, and, and played sports together, and, and uh, they used to go to youth group together. But the difference between Jim, Joe, and Bob is that Jim and Joe were both Christians. They both had Jesus in their life. They were both spending eternity in heaven with him when they die. But Bob, on the other hand, Bob was, was not a Christian. Bob was a good guy. You know, Bob hung out with Jim and Joe, and he came to church, came to youth group. But Bob, Bob didn't know Jesus. And so since Bob didn't know Jesus... Unfortunately, Bob was trapped in his sin. But Jim and Joe, on the other hand, their eternal destination was going to be heaven with Jesus. And so because of that, I'm going to tie them together. And I'm going to place them. Anybody know how to make a knot? There we go. And I'm going to place them in this empty cup. And I would like this empty cup to just represent heaven. Because Jim and Joe, that was their eternal destination. They were headed to heaven. But Bob, on the other hand, because of Bob being trapped in sin, Bob was separated from Jesus. And he was separated from the same destination that Jim and Joe shared. And so I'm going to put Bob in this empty bag to represent the sin that Bob was trapped in. And one day, Jim and Joe were hanging out with Bob, and they were talking about some different things. And, and they got onto the subject of youth group and the lesson from the, from the pastor that Sunday. And and Bob started asking questions, and so Jim and Joe kind of saw the opportunity to share Jesus with Bob. And so they told Bob about Jesus, about how he had saved them from their sins, and how he had come to this earth and died for them, and how Bob could experience that same thing, and he could have a relationship with Jesus. And so that day, Bob decided that he had been listening to this, and he knew who Jim and Joe were, and he trusted that, and he, and he just, he was moved to accept Jesus. And so that day, Bob prayed with Jim and Joe and accepted Christ, and no longer was Bob trapped in sin. But instead, he was tied together with Jim and Joe, destined for eternity in heaven. I don't know. I, mean, I might have clapped louder for the gym club boys, but I guess I'll let... <laughs> Whatever. Um, no. <laughs> no, all right. So there's a reason that I did that, and we're going to get to it, but I want to read these verses. Matthew 23, verses 13 through 15 says this. It says, But woe... To you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's subtle, right? No, Jesus is telling the Pharisees that they make it impossible for people to have a relationship with God because they aren't pointing people toward him. They're trying to get people to follow the Pharisaic way of life. In other words, they are more concerned with people having proper conduct than with them having a relationship with God. They're striving to make converts to their own ideas, to their own ideas of what's important to them. And they're leaving no room for Jesus. And I, man, I, maybe that doesn't sound like it correlates, but man, I, I really think it does. Because in, the, in that trick I just did, you know, Jesus brought Bob from death to life. Jesus did that. You know what could never do it? Condemning Bob for his bad language, or for drinking too much, or for being too promiscuous, or for driving his sister to an abortion clinic, or for going to his gay friend's wedding. And that's true whether that condemnation comes face-to-face or through a passive-aggressive Facebook post. It doesn't matter. None of that brings Bob from death to life. Because let's face it, the pro-life Bob without Jesus is going to the same hell as pro-choice Bob. And sometimes we as Christians get in the way of other people seeing Jesus because we are more concerned with people's behaviors and their morality and their life choices than we are with their eternal destination. And we say things like, man, well, but I'm, but I'm just speaking the truth, right? And if that offends them, that's on them. I'm just speaking the truth. If it offends them, that's on them. But if I'm speaking the truth and the truth isn't in love, if it's not with the intent of helping someone see Jesus, it's not God's truth. It's selfish. And it's an attempt to make ourselves feel better. And it doesn't care about outcomes. It just wants to be right. And sometimes I think we need reminded that we did nothing in the process of our salvation. We did nothing to lift ourselves out of the pit we were in. Jesus did it. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus lifts us out of the pit. And there is nothing that we can do to somehow make ourselves more worthy of it. There's nothing we do to somehow make Jesus' job less work. There's nothing we do to make it so that Jesus doesn't have to save us quite as much as the next person. And so I wonder, what makes us think that we can somehow clean someone else up? What makes us think that we can somehow get someone else out of that pit? I mean, what do we accomplish by trying to change the behavior of someone who doesn't know Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, would you spend all your time and money, if you had all this time and money to put into a house, 
Would you spend all your time and money investing in a house, remodeling the kitchen, remodeling the bathroom, doing all this stuff, if you knew that house was getting demoed next week and a new one was getting built in its place? Would you spend all that time and money? Of course not. That'd be crazy. No one would do that. That would be a waste of your resources. And so in the same way, I think we, we spend so much time trying to fix people's old lives, but people don't need their old life fixed or cleaned up. They need a new life altogether. And so please hear me this morning. I, I am not trying to say that we just let people run amok and do whatever they want. And I'm not saying that we just ignore immorality in this world and that we don't stand up for what's right. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that I just, I believe it looks a lot less like this and a lot more like this. But that's messier and it involves harder conversations. And it takes more of my time. And it's a greater investment. And sometimes it doesn't go well. But if you ask anyone who's done it, they'll tell you without hesitation that it was worth it. One of the greatest things we get to do as Christians is walk other people to the same saving grace that we have experienced. All right. Deep breath. Let's do another magic trick. All right. If you're not angry with me yet, I need your participation on this one. I'm going to have to move this stuff. I don't have enough room. All right. So, what is one thing, can someone tell me one thing that every magician has? What's one thing every magician has? A hat, what else? A wand, okay. And what do, they, what do you see, like a classic trick, the magician takes his hat and his wand, and what does he pull out of his hat? A rabbit. So today, I brought with me two rabbits. These are my friends, their names are Hippity and Hops, and Hippity and Hops are not just any ordinary rabbit. They are magic rabbits. And Hippity and Hops can magically switch places. All right? And so they can magically switch places, and they do so in the blink of an eye. But I don't know about you. I don't change in public. And neither should you. If you are, stop it. And so we're not going to ask them to change in public either. And so I'm going to put them inside of these empty rabbit hutches. And then we're going to have them change places. All right? So, on the count of three, you got to help me. On the count of three, we're going to say hippity hops, and hippity and hops will magically change places. You ready? One, two, three. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I forgot to tell you guys something. See, on this rabbit hutch, on the front, there's a black hat and a red cane. And on the back, there's also a black hat and a red cane. And on this rabbit hutch, there's a white hat and a red cane. And on the back, there's also a white hat and a red cane. All right, that was really important information. There's going to be a test later. But we're going to start over. We're going to say one, two, three, hippity hops. And hippity and hops will magically change places. Ready? One, two, three, hippity. Oh, come on. 
One, two, three, hippity hops. And hippity and hops have magically changed places. I feel like that was a sympathy clap. I don't know. You guys must have missed the trick. I mean, that's impressive stuff. I'm going to do it one more time. We're going to do it one more time. You guys missed it. Maybe you'll be impressed this time. We're going to say one, two, three, hippity hops, and hippity and hops will magically change places. Are you ready? One, two, three. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I forgot to tell you something else. See, this rabbit hutch here has a top side, bottom side, left side, right side, inside, outside, front side, and a back side. And this rabbit hutch also has a top side, bottom side, left side, right side, inside, outside, front side, and a back side. All right. So I feel a lot better there. All right, we're going to say one, two, three, hippity hops, and hippity and hops will magically change places. One, two, three, hippity hops, and hippity and hops have magically changed places. All right, what's wrong? Somebody's not, I don't think people are very impressed with that. I mean, I think it's pretty cool they change places like that. Turn them, somebody say turn them, I can't turn them around. (laughs) That'd be changing in public. We went over this. I mean, I guess I could turn them or I could turn them. The the other way? The other way, okay, the other way. Someone's saying this way. This way? I mean, I, uh, I hate to do, they're really shy and, and this kind of embarrasses them, but you guys aren't going to be happy if I, don't, if I don't do it, so they'll have to forgive me later. Um, hippity and hops actually can also change to red and yellow. All right, let's jump back in it. Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22 says this. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by this oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold of the temple that has made the gold, or the, or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Okay. So let's break this down a little bit. What this is talking about, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about the misuse of oaths. All right, so it was pretty commonplace during this time period for people to make oaths. They would swear by something. I swear by this, that I will do this thing. And they would swear by different things. And it was pretty common. But what happened was people kept breaking their oaths and not being truthful. And they would say, well, what I swore by didn't count. 
because what I swore by wasn't really important. And so they would make these oaths and they would swear by things and then say, well, that oath didn't count and they would lie and they would cheat people. And, and so the Pharisees began addressing this problem. They stepped in to address this problem, but rather than eliminating oaths, rather than saying, just be honest and be truthful and let's just get rid of this whole thing. Instead, they started making up rules to determine which oaths counted and which ones didn't. And so they did this by saying the closer the thing they swore to was to Yahweh, the more binding the oath was. And it really didn't make any sense because they said if you swore by heaven and earth, then your oath wasn't binding because you included earth. If you swore by Jerusalem, then your oath wasn't binding. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, your oath was binding. You can't make this stuff up. All right? There's literally an entire section of the Mishnah, and the Mishnah was a huge written collection of Jewish laws and traditions, and an entire section of it is dedicated to writing down all these ways that oaths counted or didn't count, depending on what you swore by. And so the Pharisees would use their judgment to say, okay, well, this oath doesn't count, but this one does. This oath doesn't count, but this one does. And it became a way for people to get away with lying and hold people to a standard that they themselves would not follow. So they would say, well, I swear by this. And someone else would say, well, I swear by this. And they would make an agreement. And then that person would walk away and be like, "Eh, what I swore by didn't count, sucker. And so they were off the hook and that person was on the hook. And they would use it If that person broke their oath, they would use it to condemn that person for breaking their oath when they just broke an oath as well. It's just because theirs didn't count. And so this is why Jesus, if you've ever heard in Matthew 5, when Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, that's what this is talking about. This is all about this. Jesus is like, this is the dumbest thing. (laughs) Like, Quit saying, just, just be honest. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. All right, so then Jesus goes on. I'm going I'm to keep reading here. Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28, skipping ahead a little bit. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs without, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so what Jesus is saying in all these verses, the oaths verses, and then this verse we just read, What he's saying in here is he's basically given the the Pharisees a picture of what real hypocrisy is. What real hypocrisy is, it is is not that we hold people accountable for the same mistakes we make. That's not hypocrisy. For me to stand up here and say lying is wrong does not mean that I've never lied in my life. And if I have, it doesn't, doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to tell you that lying is wrong. Where it's wrong is if I make excuses for myself. Well, I, but I had a good reason. You, on the other hand, it's questionable whether God still loves you, right? Like we can. It's not that we do that we that we point out somebody to somebody that something is wrong, and we ourselves do it. It's that we let ourselves off the hook. We make concessions or excuses for our wrong actions, but we hand down condemnation when others do it. And it's also not that we claim to follow Jesus. And then mess up when we sin. It's, or we mess up and sin. It's not that we claim Jesus, but we have sin in our lives. That's not the problem. The problem is that we claim Jesus, we have sin in our lives, but we do this with it. And we pretend like it's not there. We pretend like we have it more together than we really do. 
And so the Pharisees, that's what Jesus was nailing the Pharisees for. He said, the, the Pharisees, you're trying so hard to appear virtuous when in ra- reality you're just contaminating people because you're, you're, you're giving this appearance of something they can't achieve, they can't live up to. They don't understand, like, what do I do with this because I'm not you. And it's Jesus saying, like, you're not like that either. You just give people that appearance and it deceives people and it's contaminating them. And I think if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, we, man, we have, we have all been guilty of doing this. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we can probably admit that we still do. And if you're not sure, I've, I brought with me some examples. So we condemn someone's language when they swear, but when a driver pulls out in front of us, we call him an idiot. We look judgmentally at people who are dressed inappropriately and then we go home and lust at images on our computer screens. We criticize people for inappropriate content they consume, but then we watch programs or engage in social media discussions that slander and ridicule politicians on the other side of the aisle from us. We assume people are lazy or irresponsible just because they don't prioritize things the same way we do. We judge people's use of their gifts and we say, oh, you're not using your gifts and your talents for God. But then we go to church and we check our obligatory attendance box and we go home and we don't use our gifts at all. We come down on people for gossip and then we do the same exact thing. We just call it seeking guidance or asking for prayer. Craig Rochelle, the the author of this series, says it this way. He says, when I mess up, I blame my circumstances. When others mess up, I blame their character. And I don't know about you, but this is definitely true in my life. Because I want to defend myself. I want to salvage my reputation to save face to look like I've got it together and I, and I want all the grace in the world, but I'm not always willing to give it to others. But the problem is my, my defense has so many holes in it. My reputation has long since turned to garbage because I am a fallen, broken wretch who needs Jesus every single day. I need his grace in my life every single day. And I will never, ever be asked to give anyone else more grace than God has already given me. You know, it's interesting when Jesus makes this reference about whitewashed tombs. This was was something that was done in Jewish culture around the Passover festival. And what's ironic about it is that these tombs were not whitewashed to make them look pretty. They were whitewashed as a warning to people passing through that the tomb was there. Because if a Jewish person were to accidentally touch the tomb or walk over the tomb or get too close to the tomb, they would be considered unclean and they wouldn't be allowed to participate in Passover. And so the whitewashing of the tombs was not designed to make something look better than it was, which is what Jesus accused the Pharisees of trying to do. That's not what its intent was. It was actually designed to provide transparency about what was inside. 
And if we want to help others fight their doubts, that's where we need to start. I am a new creation in Jesus. I know my eternal destination is secure, but I am still a work in progress. I'm still messy. I still need Jesus. I still need to walk with others. And I will not give people the impression that I am somehow better than I am. And I will not refuse to extend grace to others who are on the same journey that I'm on. And if we could just do that, all of us together, I believe you would see doubts begin to just fade away. You know, I've told you guys, I, I don't know who I, I, I lose track of who I tell stories to, but, but I, I, Ashley and I spent a few years in Africa. A lot of you know that. We were over in Uganda working with an organization over there. And, um, it's, it's really weird because it was like some of the, 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 the almost three years we spent there, like the greatest and worst years of my life all like intertwined. And we had some awesome experiences that we wouldn't trade, but like toward the end, it got really hard. And there were a lot of things that happened within our organization that were tough. And there were people who we looked up to, that we respected, that we um, thought highly of, that we followed, who really just, just destroyed us in a way. Like just did things that, that left us devastated, that left us with so many questions, that hurt us deeply, that, that very personal things. And then like just, it was a mess. And it was hard. And we came back like really messed up. And it stirred up a lot of doubt in me. And not, and not so much about God, I don't think. But it stirred up a lot of doubt in me about Christians. And I became very, you know, cynical and critical of people. I became very guarded and very like untrusting of people who seemed sincere. And I didn't think they really were. And, and, and it's something that I've had to really work on. And and I'll be honest, there's still times that I struggle with it, which is so awesome that John asked me to do this sermon. Um, but it's, it's tough. And I had to come to grips with the fact that if my faith in God was being rattled by what other people had done to me, then my faith was probably too much in those people and not enough in God. And so if you're here this morning and you have had doubts about Jesus because of something a Christian has said or done to you, I am, I am sorry. We are messy people, and we don't always get it right. But it is my hope that you will still see a God who loves you and who wants a relationship with you, that you won't put your faith in those people, but that you will put your faith in an eternal God. And maybe you're here today and something I said resonated with you, whether you wanted it to or not. Something Jesus said to the Pharisees, maybe you've pointed people towards fixing their old life rather than towards the one who can give you new life. Maybe you've been inconsistent in extending grace to others. Maybe you've tried to give the impression that you're better than you are. Maybe you've let someone down or you've caused them to doubt. I just tell you, I've... That, that's me. I've been there. Sometimes I think I would make a really good Pharisee. Someone who focuses more on what a person does than what they believe. Someone who pretends to have it all together. 
someone who doesn't give the same grace to others that I give myself. But this morning, I believe that there is forgiveness to be had and forgiveness to be given. And so here's what I'm going to say. If you, if you break out your note sheet that has really nothing on it, and there was nothing on the screen today, so you probably got a nice blank sheet. Maybe you took some notes. I don't know. Maybe you wrote down all your thoughts on how I did my magic tricks. I'm not sure. But if you have some space, I just would challenge you to write two things. Number one is someone I need to forgive for letting me down. And then the second one is someone I have let down that I need to ask for forgiveness. I'll say those one more time. It really doesn't matter if you get it word for word. You get the point. Someone I need to forgive for letting me down. Someone I have let down that I need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you've got both and they pop into your head right away. Maybe this is something you've got to stew on this week. I challenge you to take it with you and think about it. Um, And that's it. It's not the smoothest landing I've ever had, but that's how we're landing the plane today, guys. That's my challenge for you. Take that home, keep it in front of you. When you come up with a name of someone that, that you need to forgive or ask forgiveness of, man, that, pick, that phone better be dialing. Don't let it sit. Let's try to leave here today a, a little more like Jesus than when we came in. Steve and the band, Steve and a couple people are going to play. Um, this last song and just uh, as you're saying these words just just think about that think about the consistency in your life and the example that you set for others and, and I'll come up and close with some prayer we hope you found this week's episode relevant and encouraging we just want to say thanks so much for taking time to listen and if you'd like please feel free to share it with a family member or a friend. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like more information about Cochrane Community Church, go online and visit ccubchurch.org. Well, that's all the time we have this week, but we would love for you to join us back here next week as we continue to see what it looks like to live a countercultural lifestyle for God. And from all of us here at Cochrane Community Church, we just want to say that we pray that God blesses your faithfulness. We'll see you back here next week.